0: Welcome to you if you're a visitor here today. We all welcome you in the name of our Lord. As Brett said, we were, many of us, at a pastor's conference uh, this week to sit under some of the, uh, I'd say some of the best expositional preaching in the world today by some of the greatest expositors that expound the truth of God verse by verse. And the theme and really the main concern of the conference is the lack of biblical teaching across this land. There's almost a famine in the land that's reminiscent of that communicated in Amos chapter 8. God spoke through Amos declaring that there would come a famine to rebellious Israel but it would not be a famine of food, not be a famine of drink, but it would be a famine of the Word of God. As you think about that, and you look at the church, the condition of the church today, there's, there's great disease within the professing church. And I say professing in that many people profess or confess to be a Christian. I believe that there's thousands, if not tens of thousands, of true believers throughout this land that are desperately seeking out sound biblical teaching in a local assembly and just can't find it. I've been, parts to, the, I've been to parts of the Midwest where it is almost impossible to find sound biblical teaching. Many people, I believe, are hungry. They perhaps don't realize what they're hungering for. They simply cannot find the straight truth of Scripture. But on the other hand, it's becoming easier and easier to find churches that are given to church hype, emotionalism, and because of it, they're easily given over to false doctrine or superficial teaching. And that's the concern. There's a disease that plagues much of the church today, and it's spiritual malnutrition. Spiritual malnutrition. Some time ago, I did a study on physical malnutrition. And the similarities between spiritual malnutrition and physical malnutrition, they're stunning. If you really step back and think about it. Physical malnutrition is usually the product of someone who's poverty-stricken. Someone who le- lives in deep poverty, great despair, usually suffers from physical malnutrition. So I looked into the Encyclopedia of Medicine. It says that studies have shown that malnutrition during the first two years of life cause a child's brain to shrink, to waste away. That's atrophy. Atrophy. Impairing both mental and physical development. Malnutrition affects behavioral development. Reducing IQ, slowing motor skills, increasing learning disabilities. Malnutrition in early life also stunts growth. Those who grow up without an adequate diet are commonly short for their age. Vitamin deficiency caused by malnutrition lead to vision problems such as blindness in children and night blindness in adult women. Malnutrition and infection oftentimes grow together. Malnutrition weakens the immune system and throws off the body's hormonal balance, making it easier for infections to set in. More specifically, infections reduce appetite. They cause withdrawal from a desire for solid food. The same is true for spiritual malnutrition. A natural result of spiritual poverty, along with a diet of spiritual junk food, is really the cause for this spiritual Starvation of much of the church today. Tens of thousands of Christians are spiritually malnourished. They don't even know it. They suffer with atrophy, the lack of mental and spiritual development, the lack of behavioral development, which is a lack of Christ likeness, really, because we've been given the mind of Christ. Stunted growth. They remain childlike in their understanding. Blindness to the craftiness of of, of the enemy. They remain steeped in darkness. Ignorant as to the temptations that we face every day and the wiles of the devil. Leading to the infection that sin produces, which includes a loss of appetite. A loss of appetite. Causing a withdrawal From the Word of God, which is our substance, which is our food, which is our drink. Those that are spiritually malnourished either cannot find straight teaching of the Word of God or they lack the diligence and ability to feed themselves. They appear spiritually weak, frail, withdrawn, pale, with no desire to obey the very Word of God. There's another disease that plagues primarily adolescent girls and some young women today, much ado to the image culture which we live in. That's anorexia nervosa, meaning without appetite, although they're starving to death. The symptoms... For anorexia, are eating binges, gorging oneself, and then eliminating that food. Hyperactivity is a symptom, usually through excessive exercise. They look in the mirror and they see, oh, I'm fat, I'm out of shape. I witnessed this in, in, in a local gym. I saw this lady, skinny as a real she looked like a walking skeleton with a little bit of flesh. Going on one of these of these ski machines like a mad woman for over an hour. Nonstop. I thought she was gonna snap in two. It was so sad. It was heartbreaking. Which oftentimes lead to depression. Leads to depression. These women have no ability to deal with life's everyday problems. And finally, it leads to social isolation. They don't want to be found out, so they isolate themselves from other people. That disease does not come from poverty. It comes from no outside germ, but it is self-inflicted. In order to be cured from it, it's simple. The remedy, you know what you do? You eat. You eat. And you will be made well. So if you're alive, you eat. If you're alive, you eat. And if you eat, you will grow. You will grow. Growth depends on life. Spiritual or church anorexia is similar. Although there may be ample opportunity to eat a consistent meal, many go on spiritual binges. They run from church to church to church. One evangelistic event to the next. And they gorge themselves on spiritual entertainment. And they soon eliminate it. It's gone. They can't hold it down because it's superficial. They never apply it to their lives. They never get rooted in a home church for the sake of growth, commitment, and service for the kingdom. oftentimes it also leads to spiritual activity, hyperactivity within the church. Do, 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 do. That replaces true spiritual growth. Gives the perception of maturity, perhaps. Heavily involved, spiritually immature. Oftentimes when people show interest in joining this church, I'll ask them, why do you want to join? I mean, that's fine, but where do you come from? Well, I come from so-and-so church. Well, what's wrong with that church? If there's biblical reasons, we'll come on in. But if it's just, yeah, you know, I'm just looking for a new thing, be sure you're not given to hyperactivity, amen? Spiritual anorexia also leads to depression, spiritual depression. Because you can never conquer sin. You're unable to conquer that which holds you down. It leads to overwhelming guilt. And finally, social isolation. You isolate yourself from one another. Defeated. So if you today are without an appetite for the Word of God, or are a spiritual anorexic, there's good news for you today. There's a cure, and that cure is revealed for us in First Peter chapter 2, as we will look together at verses 1 through 3. And within it we'll see five dietary staples in establishing, here it is, establishing a hunger for the Word of God. Now, it's imperative to understand here that in order for there to be spiritual growth, now get this, in order for there to be spiritual growth, there must be spiritual life. Dead men, dead women don't eat, amen? And they therefore cannot grow. Spiritually dead people cannot grow spiritually because they're dead. They're dead. There must be spiritual life. And it all begins with the spiritual life that Jesus spoke of in John chapter 3. Unless a man be born again, he cannot see, he cannot embrace, he cannot understand the kingdom. Why? Because he's dead. (laughs) He must be born again. Once that individual is born again by the grace of God, you are therefore enabled to grow. To mature. There's no life, there's no appetite. No appetite, no growth. And that leads us to our study, First Peter chapter two, verses one through three. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your glorious truth. We thank You for Your living, active Word. We pray this morning that You'd enlighten us, pierce us, edify us, so that Your church, Your people, would glorify You. May we long for, may we desire, to a greater degree, after this morning, to long for the pure milk of Your Word. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that is not able to grow because they're dead, I pray by your grace, through the preaching of your word this morning, that you would cause them to be born again of the Spirit. Enable them to see. Enable them to believe. By your grace, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the key phrase here is desire. It's to long for. And it's actually written as a command. This is a command to God's people to desire the pure milk of the Word. Now, true spirituality is always marked by two characteristics. Number one, a love for the Word of God. A love for the Word of God. Are you spiritual? Do you have a love for the Word of God? Second, it's to delight in obeying the Word of God. Do you have a love for the Word and do you delight... In obedience. Paul said in Romans 7 22, for I fully concur. In other words, I am in accord with the law of God and the inner man. The law of God and the inner man. John 8 31, Jesus said, If here it is, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Job, the oldest written document document known to man. Said in chapter 23, verse 12, the book of Job, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, this is the common thread of exhortation that Paul, or Peter rather, is referring to here. Verse 2 desire to long for. It's a craving, it's a longing, it's a compelling desire. The same verb is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In Psalm 42, verse 1, that says, As a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you. Who? God. Oh God. My soul pants for you. Something strong or intense is what Peter's commanding us to have for the Word of God here. A strong, intense, Passionate desire for the pure milk of the Word. And that's how he defines it as pure. It's uncontaminated. In the midst of what? A polluted world. In the midst of a polluted world, we have the uncontaminated, pure milk of the world, of the Word of God. Just as a baby craves for the milk of its mother, it comes purely from the mother, uncontaminated, with antibodies and nourishment that the baby needs. Right into the baby. to nourish that baby. The Encyclopedia of Medicine says that breastfeeding a baby for at least six months is considered the best way to prevent early childhood malnutrition. A baby naturally craves to be fed. Amen? You moms, we have a lot of new babies here. Babies naturally crave. You do not have to tell a baby it needs to be fed that it's hungry. They have a great need. They're not ashamed to admit it. Babies... Babies don't care about style. Babies don't care about the kind of car seat they have. Babies don't care whether they wear cloth diapers, pull-up diapers with what kind of tabs they have on them. They don't care. They're consumed with one thing. Their mother's milk. An infant is controlled by instinct, not reason. Instinct tells them that they must eat. They will cry, they will scream. They'll make life miserable <laughs> until they're fed. And if you're a father who is stuck with a nursing baby, though it's your child, mom's not there. I'm just going to the store. I'll be gone. I'll be back in 10 minutes. <laughs> if all of a sudden from within that beautiful little infant, hunger strikes, they will not stop until they have what they desire, and that is the pure milk of their mother. This is singularity of life. This is the type of compulsion that Peter's referring to. That singularity of life being a desire for God's truth, His Word, His living, active, eternal life transforming life sanctifying word do you have it? do you have it? now since we're just parachuting into the middle of a text here you know we've been studying through the gospel of John and you go verse by verse so you know the background you know the setting you know what's going on you know where we've been you know where we're going we pulled out of John this week obviously and we just parachuted into 1 Peter 2 right? So, for the, text of, for the sake of context, it's important that we understand a little bit about what's going on here. The people to whom Peter wrote were under great persecution. Have you ever suffered persecution for the namesake sake of Christ? Perhaps by way of ridicule, jokes, murmuring. Perhaps you lost your job because you named Jesus Christ maybe physical assault i doubt it but the persecution here in first peter was often unto death death i met a man or heard a man speak from china a couple nights ago his house was ransacked when he was a lad he watched his brother die he watched his father beat near to death commanded to refute the name of Jesus Christ. And they would not do it. His brother died. Died in the arms of his mother. His mother cried out, Oh God, please spare his life. And later on, God answered her prayer. Took him home. But he died with a smile on his face. Because he had been taught the truth of the word of God. And he rested in eternal security, the Master. This man came over to America. He wanted to be trained in seminary. He spoke terribly broken English language early on. He had a, he, he shared how he had a difficult time getting through seminary, but he went on. He learned the language, the English language. He 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 went to Dallas Theological Seminary. And he he's now has received his doctorate. And he teaches at a college. And uh, just an incredible man, and he writes commentaries to send back to the people from where he came, so they can understand the word of God. That's persecution. That's persecution. Now, First Peter was most likely written around 64 A.D., and that was the time in which the city of Rome burned. Set ablaze. It was a fierce fire. It burned much of the city. And although it's uncertain as to who actually caused the fire, according to Roman historian Tacitus, some held that Nero was responsible. That Nero actually set the city ablaze. He apparently had this lust to build, to build, to build. So he just wanted to burn it down to build more. No one really knows. But the Romans were totally devastated as their culture went down with the city. The loss of temples, shrines, household idols all burned up. And Nero's chosen scapegoat for the crime? Christians. Those of the way. Who were already hated because they were associated with the Jews. So Nero spreads the word that Christians had set the fires and as a result, vicious persecution was unleashed, reaching throughout the Roman Empire into Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, impacting the Christians that Peter calls pilgrims here in chapter 1, verse 1. Now, persecution of any kind is going to either cause growth or bitterness within the Christian life. Persecution, trials, tribulation, and then response always determines the result. So, In writing the Jewish believers who were struggling in the midst of persecution here, Peter encourages them to conduct themselves, here it is, courageously for the person of Christ, for the program of Christ. Pointing them back to their redemption. That they were saved by grace. Verse 2, elect Chapter 1, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Be courageous, he says. And in the midst of all the persecution, Peter's exhorting them to have a compelling desire, a deep hunger for God's word. Do you have that kind of hunger for the Word of God? On your outline, there's five dietary staples for you to reference in establishing a hunger for the Word of God. To establish it, to maintain it. Staple number one is that you must realize you need it to live. Realize I need it to live. Look at the word therefore. What's therefore there for? It's there to take you back. Amen? So you go back, and in this case we're going to go back to verse 22, chapter 1. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away but the word of the Lord endures how long? Forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you therefore. It's to the redeemed. He speaks to them because these readers have been born again through the word of the living God. And by being born again, they must crave pure spiritual milk so that they can what? So that they can grow. To grow. See, once the sinner is made alive by the grace of God, there is no shortcut to spiritual maturity. Amen? There's no shortcut. God, you don't get saved the day that he, He... Upon you and transforms your life, and He gives you new life, and He takes residence within you. You're not going to be teaching in a seminary the next day. Theology proper. It's not going to happen, amen? No! This does not refer to having home Bible studies, going to church, seminary. It's describing the spiritual craving of that new nature. The new nature. Bible studies, church, higher learning. Is a byproduct, as it should be, as to the inner work of God within the sinner, saved by grace. Amen? That's a byproduct. It's not a shortcut. It's a nature that is granted by God. This nature must be fed with the essence and nature of His Word. It's the only way one that's gonna, is going to grow. We've been baptized into Christ, as Romans 6 says, we've been immersed in Christ. In his word is the nourish, nourishment that is essential and eternal. It's essential and eternal. Look at verse 25, chapter 1. The word of the Lord endures how long? Forever. It's quoting Isaiah 40, verse 8. Psalm one nineteen eighty-nine. 89. Forever, O oh, oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Matthew 24, 35. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Words will not pass away. Luke 16, 17, Jesus said, And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. A tittle, something horn-like. It's the apex of a Hebrew letter, like the the crossing of a T. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one little loop or or, or, or crossing of a T, dotting of an I, so to speak, to pass away. Psalm 102, verse 12. But you, O Lord, shall endure how long? Forever. Forever. In the remembrance of your name to all. So the purpose of God, once he's made us alive, believer, once he's made you alive in Christ, the purpose now is to mature us. To grow in the grace and knowledge of who? Jesus Christ. In John 15, verse 3, Jesus said this, You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And who is he? He's the very word of God. Jesus is the word. His word is our very life source. The vine gives life. The the branch bears fruit. That there's life in the vine that goes up into the branch and it comes out. It produces something. It bears fruit. Before Christ, you were a dead, lifeless, dried out stick. Right? You find a dead stick somewhere. You can stick it in the ground. You can water it give it proper nourishment from the sun you can fertilize it you can go out the next day and look at it guess what it's going to be a dead stick go out three weeks you do the same thing it's going to be a dead stick it's dead that's what we were before Christ if you're not in Christ you're dead if you're not born again of the spirit of God you are dead in your trespasses and sins it does not matter how much you know about him you're dead Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, And you He made what? Alive. What were we? Who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience. Verse 10 goes on to say that, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Purpose for his glory. So do you trust in yourself for spiritual life and growth? Or do you trust him because you've been transformed by him? If you think that your good can out you can outweigh your bad with your good, that you can do something to, to find favor in the sight of God and your own strength, to be religious and to be plugged into this and be plugged into that and study the Bible, if you don't have the life of Christ in you, you're dead. You're dead. You're trusting in yourself. You must realize that it's only obedience to his word that will grow you, but you must first have life. Life produces growth. Growth. I've witnessed, and you've probably have witnessed, non believers who try to act like Christians. They try to be like something they're not they eventually get frustrated and they disappear because they have no life in them. They're trying to do this outwardly. There's no life within. You can't act like a Christian. One must become one by the grace of God. John chapter 1, verse 12, To as many as received Him, to them He gives the right to become children of God. To become. And what were they born of? John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born. Here it is. Not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. Whose work is that? That's God's work. No man can cause himself to be born again. That is a divine act of almighty God they were born of God once you're born of God you are then enabled to to grow and to grow you must be fed you must feed on you must desire this he says that was staple number one staple number two avoid impurities that will hinder such an appetite avoid impurities that will hinder an appetite in other words you must repent of your sin continually keeping short accounts with God sin will hinder growth Notice what he says. Therefore, we got that down, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Laying aside means to put away. It means to reject. It means to strip off like filthy clothing. I used to work in a metal shop. I'd go in in the morning and I would put on a, 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 uh, a pair of overalls to do welding, to do pipe fitting. You get greasy, you get grimy, you get dirty. You do not want to get into your new car with nice upholstery with those dirty garments on. Amen? At the end of the day, you'd unzip it and you, you strip it off and you cast it away from you. These type of things are the things that arise in a church when spiritual things are not desired. The first one is malice. Malice is a general term for all kinds of evil. Lay it aside, he says. Lay aside all malice. And then he goes on to define in more detail some of these sins. First one is deceit. Deceit. Lay aside all malice and all deceit. Deceit here is an intentional misleading or the enticing of another. In Scripture, it's represented as a companion of many other forms of wickedness, one of which is manipulation. People who are manipulative, they're given over to deceit. Perhaps before you were in Christ... We all have certain levels of manipulative behaviors. Before Christ, you manipulate people, you manipulate situations to appease self. Amen? He says, don't let that rise up in the church. Lay that aside. This is the vice of a man whose motives are never pure. Never pure. That's deceit. Psalm 10, verse 7. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity, which is a, iniquity is a perverse or crooked way. Proverbs 26, 24. He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. Deceit begins on the inside and it works its way out. Psalm thirty-four thirteen, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. In Mark chapter seven, Jesus said, What comes out of a man that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lawlessness, an evil eye, blasphemy, and Pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a man. It's not what goes into a man, it's what comes out. We've got to keep tabs on these things. We want to keep short accounts of these things. When we're reproved, when we're convicted, corrected, cast these things off because they will hinder a hunger for the Word of God. You will lose your appetite, no desire. So if we repent of the things going on the inside, we'll win the battle on the inside. If we win the battle on the inside, you never have to fight it on the outside. If you have adultery in your heart, lust for someone of the opposite sex, or of the same, whatever. Deal with it on the inside. Confess it. Get it out there. Or you will have no hunger. When the outward becomes the center of focus it produces this ugly characteristic known as, look at the verse, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. In classical Greek, it means a stage player. The art of theatrics. It, it came to mean acting a part in life. Hypocrite, actor. They're always acting the part. They're always, they're always putting on. He doesn't even know who he is. He lives behind a facade, a mask. He speaks words that are contrary to what he believes. His identity becomes lost. He's so given over to hypocrisy. You know, psychologists say that these people they're constantly exhausted. Because it takes enormous energy, it's emotionally draining, always having to play the part. Amen? Exhausting. These are Academy Award winners on the stage of life, week after week. And I believe that playing Christian, I would imagine, would be even more strenuous. Exhausting. Lay it aside, he says. Cast it off. To live in such a manner crushes an appetite for the Word of God. Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said, you hypocrites. You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self indulgence. In Luke 12, verse 1, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of, here it is, the leaven. Of who? Of the Pharisees. Beware of that leaven which is hypocrisy, he said. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be made known. Leaven is used in sourdough to produce fermentation, yeast, arising of the bread. To raise bread, it takes time, right? Remember mom baking bread? She used to put it aside, it would take time. She'd cover it with a towel, and over time it would rise up. It took time. Building a facade takes time but it infects many others. You know, when, was, when food was required at short notice for Israel, unleavened, unleavened cakes were used. Bread without leaven. The Israelites were forbidden to use leaven for seven days at the time of Passover to remember the great exodus. Exodus. If you recall in Exodus 12, speaking of unleavened bread, and it says, Thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, a staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. Eat it in a hurry. It's the Lord's Passover. They were getting ready to move out, the great Exodus. Stack up the bread, eat it, stick it in your little pouch because we're moving out. Have your loins girded. That means to... To roll up those long gowns, stick them up under, uh, underneath your legs, and tie them off, be ready to move. Unleavened bread. So just like leaven doesn't manifest itself immediately, neither does hypocrisy. When in practice, it manifests itself over time. It takes time. It affects others. Purge out the leaven, amen need to purge out the sin or it infects the whole body. We're talking about the body of Christ here. Like that? Many people become masterful at this. The Pharisees had almost everyone fooled, didn't they? Not Jesus. Jesus called them what they were. John the Baptist called them what they were. Romans 12.9 Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. He says, lay these things aside. The next thing he says to lay aside is envy. Envy. This means to look with ill will toward another. And it's to be distinguished from jealousy. We get jealous for our own. For our own things. How we're viewed. And we become envious of of another man's possessions or success. Many people become envious of someone's position or their possession. They aspire to some role, even in ministry. They sit back and they're just waiting for that position. Someone else gets it. They become envious. And inside, what begins to manifest itself is, I hope he fails. I hope they fail. That's envy. But they get a new house. Who are they to live on a hill? And a cul-de-sac. I hope they go into foreclosure. Because I've always wanted to live on a cul-de-sac. With a view. That's envy. It is said that jealousy fears to lose what it has. Envy is pained at seeing another have. May we not be envious of one another. Envy reveals itself through backbiting, gossip and it destroys Christian unity. That's the pollution of envy. William Barclay said that envy is the last sin to die. It's the last sin to die. Proverbs 27.4 Wrath is cruel, anger is outrageous, but, but who is able to stand before envy? Romans 13.13 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envying. Paul addressed the church at Corinth. He uses the term carnal. Now other places that he uses carnal, or you, you hear the term carnality, it has to do with the spiritually dead. So don't mistake terms. In this is the instance, the one instance in which he refers to carnality as immaturity. So every time you read carnality, it doesn't mean immaturity. Most times it means dead in trespasses and sins. 1 Corinthians 3 says, For you are still carnal, he's speaking to the church, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal in behaving like what? Mere men you're behaving like the world behaves with an envious heart. May we not envy. When Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate in Matthew 27, therefore when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus who's called the Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of what? Because of envy. They had all the religious aspirations of the people tied up in themselves with their long gowns and their phylacteries the tassels their religious apparel they looked at them as the religious elite but here comes the substance of it all Jesus Christ starting to draw the true believers unto himself and they envied him and they wanted him what? Dead dead. James 3.16 For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. If there's confusion in a church, guaranteed there's envy within. Eating it away. Destroying it. Envy will burn within you. It will burn. It will cause major smoke and fire damage within you. We must cast these off. The next thing we must cast off, he says, look what he says here. Laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Evil speaking. It means to speak against. This is rendered as backbiting. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. All forms of evil. Put them away. And again, These are the things that arise in a church when spiritual things are not desired. This will kill hunger for the pure milk of the Word. These things are to be put off, stripped away, as I said, like a dirty garment. Stripping self of vices, clothing clothing ourselves in virtue. You want to know how to dress as a Christian? There is a way to dress. There's a proper way to dress. It's Colossians chapter 3. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on these things. This is how you dress. Put on tender mercies. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. There's the attire of a Christian church. Thought I was going to talk about having to wear a tie, huh? Never. Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin in our lives, unrepentant sin. We all have sin in our lives. I'm talking about unrepentant sin, undealt with sin, will kill an appetite for the Word of God. Unrepentant sin will actually cause death for such a desire. That leads us to staple number three. I must admit my need for spiritual nutrition. Admit my need for spiritual nutrition. I need is truth, just as a newborn babe desires. I desire it. I, this is to admit, to acknowledge, to confess your need, to display the need. This is the opposite of self sufficiency. You can't sanctify yourself. No one can. It takes submitting oneself to the oracles of God, the Word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll always be a need. Spiritual self-sufficiency is nothing but this. Get this, pride. What does God hate? What's the product of all other sin? Pride. God hates it. Well, I'll do this. I'm part of this. I'll be part of that. God will approve of me. That's not abiding. That's religious activity. Jonathan Edwards referred to pride as this, and I quote, The worst viper that is in the heart, and the greatest disturber of the soul's peace, and sweet communion with Christ. The worst viper that's in the heart. Pride. Pride. The greatest disturber of the soul, of the peace of the soul, and the sweet communion that we have with Christ. Pride. So I need to admit my need here. I need this nutrition. You know, so many people grow up in church and they adhere to these traditions that they were taught. Perhaps they were taught wrong doctrine. So they come into a setting, and someone's teaching sound doctrine, correct doctrine, and they're trying to point out these truths to the individual. But they're so steeped in their tradition, they don't want to hear it. Mama taught me this, Daddy taught me that, but look, this is what the Scripture says. I know that, but. But what? That's pride. Pride. Be open and teachable. I need this spiritual nutrition. I need this. I lay bare my need for the truth of the word of God. Edward's ranked pride is the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lusts. Matthew 18, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest, where? In the kingdom. Children are most impressionable, most vulnerable. They put their trust completely in their parents. So the context is that unless one becomes dependent upon grace versus self-righteousness, you can't enter the kingdom. You must be fully dependent upon what? The grace of God alone. You have nothing to add to that. I have nothing to add to that. C.J. Mahaney wrote a really... Very good little book on humility. He talked about praying at the beginning of the day, and he said this, I quote, Begin your day by acknowledging your dependence upon God and your need for God. Purpose by grace that your first thought of the day will be an expression of your dependence on God, your need for God, and your confidence in God. End quote. So this can only come by way of knowledge of His Word. I need it, and I admit it. I need it. Feed me. Feed me. Learn how to feed yourselves, right? We learn how to feed on the Word of God. That leads us to number four. Staple number four. We must, once we know this, we must must practice the discipline of proper intake. Look at verse 2b. That by it, okay, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So we see as newborn babes, we, we desire the pure milk. We must... Admit that we need it, the milk over the Word, in order to grow by it. So I know I need to grow, so I need to discipline myself to to take it in. Undisciplined people do not grow. Undisciplined people to the things of God remain steeped in ignorance. They remain babes in Christ. God saves us and He wants to grow us. Amen? He wants to grow us. And that's what the body's here for, guys. To assist one another in doing that. But if you don't lend yourself to the things that are gifted to you, people with certain gifts to minister to you, you're going to starve to death. You'll never grow. We have to realize that we need this. You must realize, I must realize that you have, you have not arrived. I was around a lot of scholars in theology, a lot of theology professors this past week. One thing that stuck out to me more than anything else about these men, they're humble. Humble, godly men. You know what revealed about myself? Pride. Like man, I don't know a thing. And these men who know everything that I'll never know, as much as they can know here on earth, they are so humble. You know why? They realize they don't know much. (laughs) Come on somebody. (laughs) You haven't arrived. Don't forget who you are and don't forget what you're not. An example, the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I what? I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but I press toward the goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You've got to press on. You've got to remember what you are. We must remember who we are, what we're not. Think about it. If you didn't look into a mirror for three weeks, glass as you walk by Nordstrom, Strike and a pose. If you didn't look into a mirror for three weeks, how would you think you'd look? Probably a mess. Men, you go to work, you know, you didn't take a lot of time, you rushed out of the house, scratch your face, you forget, wow, I forgot to shave today. Or you missed a spot, especially you fellas with those thick beards, you get a five o'clock shadow at two. I roomed with a guy like that. He was born in Iraq. He's just hairy. He shaves, and at 2 o'clock, he's got a 5 o'clock. Ladies, you who do your makeup on your way to work in the car. You get into work, you go into the bathroom, and you got eyeshadow here, and you forgot it over here. How would you look? James one twenty three. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, he goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. Or was. That's what hearers of the word who aren't doers of the word are like. You forget what you are and what you're not. If you don't eat for three weeks, you become frail. Pale. Weak. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. 2 Peter 3:18. Grow, here it is. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Amen? People who embrace some new doctrine, they just come in, pound in that drum, boy. They just pound it and pound it and pound it and pound it. And they're like a gnat. As soon as you think you're there and that you're aware, you've stunted your growth. You know why? Sin never gets tired. Never gets tired. Mahaney goes on to say, sin doesn't wake up tired because it hasn't been sleeping. When you wake up in the morning, sin is right there, fully awake, ready to attack. So rather than be attacked by sin in the morning, I've chosen to go on the offensive. End quote. You know, Jesus, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Okay, that is not an invitation to evangelism. Jesus is pounding on the door of what? The church, let me in. I want fellowship with you. I want to be your first love. The one thing that does pound on every door is sin. Right? It never rests. We're called to kill it because we're enabled to kill it because we have life in us. Those who don't have life are dead in it. How do I do this? How do I practice the discipline of proper intake? Number one, don't allow yourself idle time. Bad habits, time consuming habits, you know those things that take all your time. It starts with minutes, hours, and hours, and hours. You've just killed the day. When you commute, what do you listen to when you commute? You listen to the morons on the radio here and the little local rock and roll stations laugh along with their foolishness? Or do you pop in a sermon? A lecture. Worship songs. Something that will edify you. Something that will build you up. Listen to Scripture. You can get the Bible on CD now. Let's Listen to Scripture. The living Word of God. Just let it fill your mind. Let it wash you. Standing in line at restaurants. I always like to have a book with me anywhere I go. Because I find, if I find myself with, with, with idle time and I don't have a book... Drives me insane because I feel like I'm wasting time. I go to my daughter's softball games. If she's up to bat, the book is down. If she's out in the field, the book is down. If she's sitting on the bench and she's someone substitute, I read. I underline. If my daughter's out there, full attention. I watch what she's doing, I put the book down. Stand in line at a restaurant, read a book. Highlighter, marker, underline it. Go home and study it. Some of the guys have asked me to go golfing. I'm not a good golfer. So to me, that's a waste of five hours. <laughs> The guys that are good, they fellowship with one another, they play a good game, they rejoice. I stink. And they go, We want to golf? I go, No. They go, Well, and they know me, so they go, Just bring a book. So I'll drive the cart, read the book, and they can hit their fine shots. I don't even keep score, I'm so bad. But there's a warning here. When you read, get a book on doctrine. Get books about the Bible. Read about theology. Doctrine. But read for this. Read for transformation, not just merely information. Because knowledge alone, what, puffs up. Read for transformation. Read about the holiness of God. It will change your whole theological perspective. You will no longer adhere to a man-centered theology if you do. When you learn about how holy God is and how depraved man is, your theology will change. You will begin to understand that God is sovereign indeed. It will humble you. It cause you to worship Him to a greater degree. Finally, number five, remember and review the taste of God's blessings. Verse three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is what? gracious. He's gracious. Take a survey of his gracious goodness on your own life. Don't forget. Don't forget what he's done. Because if you've tasted the kindness and the grace of Jesus Christ, you know what that taste does? It increases hunger. Can you eat just one Lay's potato chip? I can't. I love Lay's potato chips. I can't eat just one. You can see food at a distance. I can smell my wife's cooking the moment I pull up in front of the house and walk in. I can smell it. She's a good cook. I can smell it. When I get in the house, I can see it. But in order to ingest it, in order to taste it, I have to pick it up, I have to put it in my mouth. Amen? If you want to taste that the Lord is good, you've got to partake of Him. That's through His Word. Verse Psalm 34.4 I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. How many times have we cried out Oh Lord, just get me through this mess. Please, oh God, get me through this mess and I will do this, this, this and this. Amen? Oh, He gets you through it. Now it's a coincidence. Wow, what a coincidence. No, that's the grace and the sovereignty and the providential hand of God. Working in and around your life. Don't forget that it's Him. Psalm 111, verse 4. He has made His wonderful works to be, here it is, here it is, remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Psalm 116, verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. Don't ever forget that we are wretched sinners. We all deserve hell. You deserve hell. I deserve the pit of hell. I understand what Paul meant when he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. I deserve the depths of hell for all eternity to be tormented with God's wrath. That's what I deserve. By His grace, I'm saved. Because the Son took that wrath.